Hey everyone, it's your host Mike here. Just a little preamble before the episode really starts. This was our second episode recording remotely and technology is finicky so you may notice some weird audio clipping and some odd cuts and that's mostly because I barely know what I'm doing when I edit these episodes. Uh, but everything sounds perfectly reasonable. I also want to apologize in advance since we do inadvertently spread some uh, false uh, information, uh, urban legend regarding the origin of a nursery rhyme. Rest assured, we now understand that that is not true, so please don't email us. Or, you know, email us. We like emails. Or tweet at us. Uh, and with that, on with the show. I sing that because it's an episode about musicals. You get it? Cue the music. <laughs> Welcome to episode eight, Burn After Pitching, the Pitch Podcast. This is a roundtable podcast where creators, podcasters, comedians, performers, and actual real-life yetis are all challenged to pitch their ideas on a theme or property or abstract concept, and we either build them up or tear them down, you know, for fun. This episode is something a little different than what we've done in the past. Let's just say we all have a song in our hearts, or rather, multiple songs. I'm the host for this episode. I'm Michael Tanner, co-creator and writer of Junior Braves of the Apocalypse. And on the panel today... Andy Norval, co-host and sometimes contributor, including today. Uh, also do web comics and books. Devin Michaels, uh, also known as Devin Schwartz, uh, actor, writer, director, television, film, and theater. Kristen DeGroote, I'm an actress you've never heard of, based in Manhattan. I do mostly musical theater, but uh, a little bit of everything. How is everyone doing today? Great. Great. Let's get down to it. Isolated. So here's how the show works. Very <laughs> Great isolated. and distant. We gave each of the panelists two topics ahead of time that they were able to prepare their initial pitches. They will present their pitch and the rest of us can ask questions and spitball ideas to make it better or just tear it apart, however we're feeling. Uh, hopefully it's fun for everyone. So this episode is all about musicals. So for our first pitch, uh, we had challenged our, our panelists to come up with a new song for an established musical. So who would like to go first? Uh, I'm happy to go first. You're a sacrificial Andy, take lamb. it away. Go, Andy. All right. Well, I hope Hamilton is established enough for you because, uh, I mean, I love Hamilton. I love how it gets into a lot of the ambiguities of history. But one thing it never touches upon, it almost touched on uh, Jefferson's relationship with Sally Hemings. It was in a song that got cut, but I think that really adds a lot to, how should I put it, the moral ambiguity of Jefferson and like and his blind spots. I was going to give Sally Hemings a song, but I realized that's kind of unfair because the whole point is we never get to hear her voice. She never gets to say what she thought about the relationship because, you know, she belonged to Jefferson. So I would like to add a song where Jefferson defends his position called Sally Thinks I'm Wonderful where he goes on and on and on about how great Sally thinks he is, never realizing the irony of in praising Sally, we never get to hear from Sally. I'm thinking she might even be on stage wanting to say something, but she can't get a word in because, of course, Jefferson considers it okay if he speaks for her. And uh, I think it would just, you know, it, it shows how blind he was to his own privilege and also the inescapable moral stain of slavery because Jefferson owned hundreds of people, but he thought it was okay because he was, quote unquote, one of the good ones who treated them nice. And just to sort of expose that hypocrisy, excuse me, show how Jefferson in his own eyes thought he was good, but we can see, how should I write it? We can see the thing that he can't see. So my pitch, Hamilton, Jefferson gets a great defense of himself called Sally Thinks I'm Wonderful, which shows how morally hypocritical he is being, even if he can't realize it himself. All right. Now, what style of um, song would it be? Because, you know, what I miss is very kind of like jazzy um, and is written sort of in the show to be kind of out of step with the rest of the music. So how would you yeah, see this because he's been in France. Well, it's probably a later one, like probably after the rap battles. So that's a very good question. I still think it might be a little old timey because it shows, how should I put it, how Jefferson is maybe not out of step with the times, but out of step with his own morality. And so it's sort of him defending himself 
and because he himself would rest on the the easy unexamined uh truths of the age which you know had some underlying hypocrisies that nobody really either realized or acknowledged i think it would be more like what did i miss uh, a wonderful rouser about what a great guy he was because he treated his slaves nice never realizing that yeah, maybe he shouldn't have slaves in the first place so i would say more like uh what did i miss i love i love that idea um actually a lot of my um I mean, I love Hamilton. Everybody loves Hamilton, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, you know, it's it's objectively a very good musical. Um, having said that, I do have a lot of uh, POC friends who have expressed problems with the way that certain things are portrayed, and I think Sally Hemings is a big part of that. I um, I actually really like that she doesn't get to speak, and she's just a featured dancer because I think that adds to it. But I think adding a song where he uh, defends his position and the fact that she doesn't speak uh, really would uh, lean into that because of all of them, you know, he's the one we kind of know the most about who is the most, like there's such a juxtaposition with, uh, he wrote the declaration of independence and also. Yeah. Inalienable rights. Most of the time. (laughs) I, I, I was hearing it as like a saloon. Ja- like like the sort of music that you hear when somebody walks into a saloon before the fight starts. And it's like mm-hmm. real jazzy up-tempo, but like real easy to listen to, real easy to sing along to. I yeah, I think a there's a bump out of st- tune, upright piano. Yeah. Yes. I, I definitely think there's like that saloonish, what's the word, bombasticness to it, because it's him boasting about what a great guy he is, you know? It's like a drinking song. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's funny. As I said, it came out of wanting to give Sally Hemings a number. But then realizing in a way that's dishonest, because what you have to acknowledge is her position erases what her voice would have been in history. And I think honesty dictates that we have to at least acknowledge that, you know? Yeah, I think this is great because uh, it sounds to me like like a less obnoxious uh, version of Gaston from Beauty and the Beast. (laughs) (laughs) We're, We're all cheering him on with our beer glasses, our big old mugs of mead. And then, yeah. you know, <laughs> he's fantastic. And then we also get some counterpoint in there. Yeah. I mean, the big question that now just occurs to me is, does Hamilton get a little aside or two? Because I'm sure Hamilton can see right through Jefferson's bullshit. I don't know. Just I mean, a thought. If there's, what, if there's one thing we know that Lynn does well, it's throwing in his own little two cents just in the corner. <laughs> yeah. Hey, or okay, that's mine. Cents. Okay. So who would like to go next? Uh, I guess I'll go. Um. I've been nervous about this all week. Um, It's very nerve wracking. I know. It is. Yeah. Um, Okay. So I had two that I couldn't decide on, but I think I'm going to go with uh, a classic, um, which is Oklahoma. Because, you know, it's not not done enough. Um, (laughs) Okay. So as y'all probably know, it was remounted on Broadway recently. And... um, one of the I I never got to see it, which is kind of a bummer. But I had a friend oh. who did, and they uh, they told me in great detail a lot of the things that they changed. One of the things I really like is Judd is always, always, always like big, brutish, six foot five, over muscled, strong and silent type. That's always the way that he's cast. And when they set it in a more modern setting, with uh, I think they never really express what time period it is but everyone's dressed modern clothes he's um basically cast as this scrawny much smaller type of guy wearing a hoodie um she said he was basically an incel and i think that is the most interesting way that you could cast him because that is how we know judd uh, in the modern context is somebody who thinks that he's owed something he's owed a woman even, and when he doesn't get it, he resorts to violence. And so I would love a song from Judd, and I don't have a title for it, um, but it would basically, I mean, maybe it's just, maybe it's called What I'm Owed, like What's Mine. And the idea is like, I, I'm a man, I deserve what men get. And hearing the underlying violence, the things that he feels he's owed by society, what he deserves because we don't get to hear from him enough and he's a really interesting character. It's interesting. No, I thought he had a song that was essentially that. He 
I don't it was know like that empty he room or something like that. I think well, I think if he has something like that, it's always cut. Never, never gets sung. The only time he ever gets to sing is um, when Curly's like, "Hey, you want to kill yourself?" Which really is, if again, if you look at it in this modern context, what it is is the popular jock coming into the locker room where this scrawny kid who already has no friends, who doesn't know how to express himself. Uh, the jocks just coming in being like, hey, man, hey, man, hey, bro, you know what you should do? You should kill yourself. Nobody likes you, bro. He almost gets him to do it, which is yeah. like the worst part. And and we've seen that repeated in like in so many schools and so many uh, institutions across America. I think that instantly makes it more relevant. Like nobody has field hands anymore, but everybody knows that kid who doesn't quite fit in. Man, Oklahoma is way darker than I thought. Oklahoma is so dark. It is so freaking dark. Yeah, it's weird how Modern a lot day. of those older musicals are just like really depressing. Yeah, well, Seven Brides from Seven Brothers. Ooh, that one's just <laughs> all kinds of creepy. The Fantastics. <laughs> oh, boy. I bet there's a song that gets cut from that one now. We've got Judd the Incel song from Oklahoma. <laughs> and by the way, I really like that title. You said you had no title, but What's Mine sounds pretty pretty apt or what i'm owed yeah oh i i thought it was going to be judd the incel song (laughs) i'm I'm open to that yeah (laughs) the incel national anthem all right the state anthem of oklahoma uh so uh (laughs) so uh i i uh i struggled with this one um i was thinking of I had to just go back to my roots. I, you know, I got my start in the business with uh, Charles Strauss, uh, a musical that he wrote called Rags. And um, I was thinking about his more famous musical, Annie, uh, earlier this, this week. And I was thinking that there's, there's such a missed opportunity kind of coming out of the opposite waves as Kristen. I was just thinking about the title. And I was just thinking... What a missed opportunity that there isn't a song called Leapin' Lizards, because <laughs> it's one of the best catchphrases of any titular character in, in musical history, and, and there's no song for it. In fact, I don't even think there's a, a lyric in any of the other songs that, that features those words. It's only when she's speaking. It is a missed opportunity. It's yeah. a missed opportunity. So I was just thinking maybe something in between... Uh, Somewhere in between Little Girls, and I think I'm going to like it here, um, I think there's a sequence where the girls are, are kind of sneaking, like she's wandering the streets with some of them, the other orphans, and if they're, they're seeing the outside world outside the orphanage and um, taking note, and, and it's kind of like a, uh, a sequence of them just noticing with big wide eyes what the world is like outside the orphanage. And so every different new... Uh, uh, sight that they see or a different type of person that they see is, is of course, a uh, reason to launch into a new verse that starts with those words. Oh, oh now like is a, it like, like mundane stuff a... that they see? Even mundane stuff that from their Leaping lizards, that yeah. man's got a hat. Leaping yeah. lizards, how'd <laughs> that guy get so fat? He got a second bowl of soup. I mean, yeah, we are talking about Charles Strauss, so yes. Yeah. Well, uh, actually, if I could jump in, what I love and a possible potential, because there's that great uh, Daddy Warbox song, NYC, where he goes out in the city and says everything that he loves to see. Leaping Lizards right. could be a wonderful sort of parallel to that, like how Annie sees the city as opposed to how the rich multimillionaire sees the city, I think is, is a great potential. Right. It's that it's taking advantage of that opposite point of view. of, of mm-hmm. And in fact, maybe it could be a prequel to that song, uh, uh, noting some of those same things that he notes in that song, but from their 12-year-old perspective. Yeah. Like a street urgent version of, like, Beyond My Wildest Dreams from Little Mermaid or uh, One Short Day from Wicked. <laughs> yes. Okay, here's, here's my problem with that. Um, I, Uh-oh. sorry, I just <laughs> No, no, up, go, bring it. I straight up hate Annie. I hate it in its children's version. I think it's I think its hour long version is too long. I cannot stand it. Everybody's boring. Um, the only role that I would kill to play is Lily St. Regis because I want to say like the hotel. But other than that, <laughs> not Miss Hannigan. I, I just meh. Okay. No, but nobody would cast me as Miss Hannigan. Um, <laughs> um, so 
if you're gonna take Annie, which is already so long, too long, and make it longer, <laughs> there's got to be a one in one out rule. So what are you gonna lose? I like oh, that. Good what would you cut? <laughs> Probably cut you tomorrow. make me. It's, you it's make such a nothing happy. song. Yeah. I think people usually do cut. You make me happy, right? And Miss. Oh again. yeah, that's not ringing a bell. Yeah. Wait. Okay. What is this song? There's a song, <laughs> You Make Me Happy, that Miss Hannigan and Grace both sang. Um, I don't think I've ever heard of this one. song. We've lost it yet. Yeah. Cut the song we, we all forgot. This is always <laughs> I mean, rule yeah. of thumb. It's probably for the best. <laughs> yes. If I more that Leap and Lizards. Cut it. Yeah. Yes, bring more <laughs> Leap and Lizards back. I mean, it just, it just sounds to me like there's going to be something bouncy and fun there. Yeah. I mean, I like Annie, but I'll admit it's it's the triumph of really good, catchy songs over storytelling. Because I don't know if you remember, but at the end, they like come on stage and like, hey, we unraveled the crime off stage and they confessed. So everything's great now. <laughs> yeah, it's not a good story. And also, precocious children are just annoying as heck. And it, the show is all <laughs> precocious children. And all kids saying things that kids don't actually say in real life drives me up the wall. So it's like the West Wing of adolescent girls. Yes, exactly that. Exactly that. And and on top of that, you have a kid who 100% of the time is singing the way that she should not sing because she can technically hit the notes in tomorrow. And her voice teacher's like, you should go for it. Oh, my gosh, you're so talented. And she's. I have to sit there listening to this poor girl girl like rack claws over her vocal cords yeah Yeah, just like screaming her little lungs out it's not pleasant it's not fun (laughs) it's not a good song tomorrow's not a good song we did get a really good jay-z tune out of the musical though just you know (laughs) devil's advocate i i think the song leap and lizards though would, would give us an opportunity to meet the other people in the city who are less annoying as these other characters that we have in the musical it's just all the characters from Little Shop. They just... <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's where we find out about like the musical verse, where you meet like the characters who are soon to be in Urine Town or whatever. <laughs> the musical Avengers. Oh my God! They could go to Avenue Q and find the puppets. <laughs> Avenue Q was probably musical. hopping in the Depression. That's the way to save Broadway in this trying time. <laughs> yes. Make a the mega Broadway show. Avengers. It's fourteen the, hours the BCU. long. Or I guess what That's what makes it a great catchphrase. The fact that this becomes a crossover with 25 other musicals. Yeah. You can, you have to go to each one at $150 <laughs> per ticket. That's the key. That's the key. And, and you can't leave when the curtain goes down. Cause there'll be like a little teaser for the next one. Oh, After gosh. encore. <laughs> <laughs> you have to wait until everyone else has left the theater and then three actors come on and do a 30 second scene for you. <laughs> Have you heard about the Broadway Initiative? The Mamma Mia Initiative. The, the Mamma Mia Initiative. Mia no. initiative. <laughs> you got to check out the Opera House. There's rumors of a phantom. <laughs> On the next $250 installment of Leap and Lizards. God. Oh, oh, now I'm we, really into the, the Broadway Cinematic yeah. Universe. Don't force the host to have a pitch. So it's we call it the host choice. Um, ah. So sometimes the host will pitch, sometimes the host will not. I actually did come up just i did figure out what song i'd want added to a favorite musical um and my one of my favorite musicals is the rocky horror picture show yeah my favorite character in rocky horror picture show is eddie Eddie. yeah Um, i see that and partly he's my favorite because i love meatloaf um the stinger and the food and so I'd want to add another song for, for Eddie. But how do yeah. you do that when he literally he is introduced won. and then killed at, um, at the end of his song? So yeah. I've decided to add a song uh, that's right before the flo- floor show. So right before the climax mm-hmm. where Frank is getting ready, getting into his, his, his outfit for the floor show. And he's visited by the angry ghost of Eddie. Ooh, okay. um, and Eddie and Frank have a duet where like at first like Eddie is 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 angry at Frank obviously for murdering him, but we show Frank as kind of this master manipulator who starts to turn around the ghost and they have a they sing about all the great times they had together before you know Frank stole half of his brain to give to Rocky and then killed him <laughs> with a pickaxe, um, yeah. and it would be done in the uh, style of like a Righteous Brothers song like a kind of duet mm. like Unchained Melody. 
Um, and it would be called Frankly. I have none of the lyrics, uh, but it would be called Frankly. Well, plus, uh, Eddie, is, oh. Eddie is all about rock and roll. And, you know, what is more rock and roll than a tragic early death, you know? <laughs> it's mine. Know. So, Frank would be like, I, I did you a favor. It's true. You could throw in all those, all, like, some very tasteless references to all the musicians and actors who made their careers better by dying early. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that would, I feel like that'd be in in tone with the show it's yeah the, very the much so. show in the climax there we go yeah all right yeah i like it it, yeah. it, it is weird eddie does not get much he, he needs a, he needs another another song yeah. i think because usually that's a that's a dual uh dual part usually the criminologist and eddie are played by the same same actor um no so way. Just, yeah wow. at least originally okay. it was i don't know what they okay. do now but no that makes sense it like, just never occurred it's to me. okay all right, so listeners, those were our pitches for new songs to add to our favorite musicals. Uh, if you have your own idea, please tweet at us at burnpitching at Twitter box backslash garbage file. Um, you guys know how the internet works. Uh, so tweet <laughs> at us. Uh, so that's our, our first half, the pitch a new song. Now we do, in the middle here, sandwiched between our two pitches, we have a surprise pitch Ooh. that producer Tyler springs on all of us. And we have a couple minutes to think of something, and then we come back and we give our uh, impromptu pitch on it. So, producer Tyler, are you there? <laughs> yes, um, yes, I, I am here. And also, by the way, uh, thank you for hating Annie because I hate Annie as well. Um, the worst. <laughs> it really is. It re- it's like it's like I, that in Carousel for me. I grew up, um, in Annie, so I probably I, I was just indoctrinated young. I could write a dissertation on how much I hate this musical and why it's so bad. Continue. Yeah. As you were. I know. Like, no, yeah, thank One you. One thing, though, the um, songs are so catchy. Like, I, I got a shout out for Annie. Like, I, I think it has flaws, but just in the end, those songs are so great that, you know. I mean, so is Rebecca Black's is Friday, but that's, but you know, that's either here like, or there. Since when, did, since when did catchy become synonymous with good? Half the time, that's, that's their antithesis of each other. Yeah. Um, okay. So the surprise pitch for everybody today is, oh man, <laughs> yeah. that, that's my favorite com- company's my favorite, but I'm not going to go Sondheim, but you know, you know what we've been lacking lately is so many, so many TV shows in the early 2000s, late nineties had like the musical episode. Nowadays it's like, it was like castle and maybe like a couple here and there, but there are a lot of shows that didn't actually get a musical episode. Like, look at Scrubs with the Lopez's. Uh, that's right. We're on a last name basis. I don't know. Uh, I just forget their names. Robert and wife, um, Lopez. But nowadays, we, we need we need some music and some magic in, in our lives, especially in our quarantine lives. Which TV show do you think deserved and needed that musical Ooh, episode? Love it. This is any TV show throughout the history of television. I mean, or just contemporary whatever your, shows. Whatever right? your heart desires. I mean, we're we're streaming right now. I mean, you can stream most most shows. So now you can be like, man, why didn't this have a musical episode? I'm okay. trying to make it easier for everybody. I don't know. <laughs> so something that's currently available to stream. Okay. All right. Yeah. Fair enough. All right. Yeah, we'll I give everyone a uh, a couple minutes. Sometimes people have their answer right away, but. You got the listeners that you won't know because we're just going to edit straight into the new pitches. Panelists, please come up with your ideas. All right, we are back and our panelists are ready with their pitch for a musical episode of a TV show that we did not see. Um, who would like to go first for this one? <laughs> I'll go um, first. Go for it. Devin. Okay, Devin. Uh, yeah, I went first last time. I, you know, this this show is is so great in so many ways. And I think one of the reasons that it's great is because it, it allows itself to have these moments when we can just see what's happening underneath inside this character's mind. Um, and what better way to delve deeper into what go, what is going on inside a character's mind than you know, a musical. So the, the show I would pick for this is Better Call Saul. Um, I think that there are so many great dynamics that play out the way musicals play out in terms of these long um, uh, evolving relationships between let's say Jimmy and uh, um, uh, Kim um, and, and how that love story uh, changes and goes in every which direction. I think there's multiple songs there in terms of 
the early stages and the jadedness and the the arm's lengthness, and then when they get closer, and I think I should, there's so many opportunities for things to be expressed in song. I think in that show, it's a good one. I, I cool. think I'd, uh, yeah. I think there are if moments. Michael that... McKeon was still on the show. That would be I'd, it'd be oh, great yeah. to have him do a musical number on it. Uh, you should yeah, totally I, do a heavy metal number. And <laughs> I think you could you could do that because they play with time so much anyway. There's oh, so that's much. True. Yeah. There's oh, yeah. so much flashback. I mean, every every season starts with a, a, a flash forward. Uh, the black and white sequences that are that start every every season, but then also they do flashbacks to when you know Jimmy had dinner with uh, with Michael McKean's character Chuck and his ex wife and all that. Um, so they're constantly playing with time. I think you could have uh, a musical that that plays with time the same way that the show does anyway, and you could absolutely include a, a couple of brooding numbers from Chuck uh, sprinkled in there. Uh, he could have a song the same way. Uh, the judge has a song in Sweeney Todd um, or um, and then Jimmy would have, you know, a couple of lullaby type songs or obviously a, a, a upbeat polka number when he's when he's, you know, trying to sell the, the old ladies um, on, on hiring him. Um, so it, it can play with every single moment. It doesn't have to be about what's happening right now in this current season. It can be it can be dancing around the way the show. Uh, yeah, because uh, unlike, uh, it, it doesn't have to stay rooted in the current uh, linear place that the show now finds itself. It can dance around to all these other moments in time in the different places uh, that formed different uh, moments in these relationships, the same way the show does anyway right now. True, true. Yeah. I, I definitely would want a Chicago-style number called Slippin' Jimmy. Ooh. <laughs> yes. Is, is... So yeah. I actually have not, uh, I haven't watched Better Off Saul, um, but is the reason, is the reason that you picked this over a Breaking Bad musical episode, the, the format that it switches around more and it's less linear? Uh, Breaking Bad was also nonlinear, uh, almost the same amount, I would say, but it, I think Breaking Bad had a more consistently dark edge to it um, that, that would make the musical uh, a bit rough. Uh, yeah. Not that there aren't plus, musicals, but plus Jimmy slash Saul has a flamboyance to him that would really lend itself to musicals. Exactly, yeah. I think there's something yeah. about him as the main character as opposed to Walt. I think there's a there's a humorlessness to Walt that would make it yeah. uh, a tough thing for him to be the protagonist of a musical, whereas Jimmy is just screaming to be the lead character of a musical. Uh, it's Bob Odenkirk, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh. Oh, you put him in everything. He'd be wonderful. Yeah. He practically sings every episode just without singing. You know, I mean, he just he has these lines that are written as if they are um, actually Rodgers and Hammerstein because he has that old fashioned sense of humor all the time with his uh, the way he he's always selling. So that'd be my pitch. I, I would love to see that episode. And uh, so I would love to have it uh, happen. You got better, better call Saul the musical. All right. Who's next? Um, I'll go. Um, I would love to see a musical episode of Shit's Creek. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I think um, I'm not, I don't, I don't have a plot exactly, but, uh, but I think, I mean, it's so, it's so wacky already that I think it would work very well. Um, we already know Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara are musical, so that would be great. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, who just doesn't want to see Moira sing? I feel like you have yeah. so many opportunities. I mean, we already mm-hmm. see her sing, you know, in the <laughs> Jazz House, but like, it, you, you know, like really spotlight her, let her, let her have a number where she has like all the emotion where we see the world through Moira's eyes, which must be a wonderful place. Or deeply horrific. <laughs> could, be, could go either way. Yeah. <laughs> One of the two. Yeah. Or I, maybe I'd the... want to see a song that's all about her wigs and she, she yes. sings about the different personalities because she gives each wig a personality um as a name we could yeah, hear, right? yeah we could give a little bit of lexus its own like its own showcase number it could be the 11 Absolutely. o'clock number of the show uh, a little yeah it's the big finale number with like male dancers barely dressed in the background <laughs> yes perfect <laughs> a little homage to uh I am what I am from La Cage Yes, that would be amazing. And I think there's also awesome. the potential for some really touching numbers. Like uh, like Stevie could have something real introspective. Eugene Levy could have a song about like 
maybe he feels like he failed his family by letting them end up here. Um, and then obviously something cute with David and Patrick, even though they already had that, because we want more. There would have to be a song called Rose Colored Glasses. <sighs> that's that's the that's the closing number. That's the finale. Oh, yeah. Oh, we yeah. did it. We broke it. Let's let's put this together. <laughs> call them. Somebody call my good friend Eugene Levy. Someone call Pop TV or yes. whatever network it's Wait, if, on. If he's your oh, good that's friend. right. It's, it is on a network, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> I wonder what percentage of people actually watch it on the Pop Network versus Netflix. I had uh, cable. I watched okay. the first season when it was on. Um, nice Pop. Oh, cool. I mean, hey, I'm glad people are seeing it. However, they can see it. I mean, I've only seen snippets, but I love. The cast, so I know I will love it when I get around to it. Okay. Ooh, anything else? Are we to me? We're to you, Andy. Okay. Well, uh, there is a the good place hole in my heart since the show wrapped, so I am going to do a good place musical episode. So glad I didn't say good place. I almost said good place. Oh my god. Yeah. Well, it, it kind of lends itself. Well, I'm thinking, I, I, and it, it's just a little nut of an idea, but maybe it's an episode where. Uh, Eleanor finds something out about Chidi that he hasn't shared. And like, so now she's not sure if she can trust Chidi. So there's this whole theme of honesty and trust. And then somehow they wind up instead of the good place in the musical place <laughs> where That's suddenly, genius. yeah, suddenly she's honestly, actually just like, a bad place. Yeah. Well, who knows? <laughs> it's a little of both because here's the thing. You can't hide yourself when you're singing. That's your true self showing. And so Eleanor, you know, she's acting all judgy for Chidi until she gets her song. Everything that annoys me about you where Chidi gets to find out every little thing that Eleanor has been hiding that she doesn't like about Chidi. And she learns that trust isn't knowing everything about the other person, but knowing that, you know, we all have an interior life. We all have things we keep secret. And if you trust the person, you don't care, you know? And so that would be my musical episode. And I'm just looking through all of the characters and like Jason Mendoza gets a rap, I think. And Tahani gets like, a, oh, this song is perfect. Sort of Sondheim-esque musical number that she's trying to make just the best musical number ever but she's sort of over Sondheim's and there's just too many syllables and she runs out of breath. <laughs> and you can even get Mindy St. Clair, the, the, the person who occupies the mediocre place mm. do a song called phoning it in where she does the bare minimum to be counted <laughs> as a song. And then just kind of quits halfway through. Cause that's, that's very Mindy St. Clair. My big question for this would be what season does it take place in? Uh, I think a later season. Cause it's when Chidi and Eleanor are definitely an item. You know, and it's just sort of the complications of them navigating that. But uh, and she Eleanor always had her trust issues, I just, you know, yes. being from her background. So I would say probably a later one. Well, one, you would need Mindy St. Clair. But two, I want it when Chidi and Eleanor's relationship is in a good place. But All I right. You can put it anywhere. But yeah, it has to be when, when Chidi and Eleanor are an item. I love that. And I, yeah. I think of all the ones that have been pitched so far. I'm kind of shocked that they didn't use that because that's it, it suits it so well. It's so yeah, it easy because everything's that, fantastical. Yeah, and it has that sense of heightened reality. Yeah, and uh, I'm not sure what Janet's number would be. I'm open to pitches because I'm still debating, you know. I would want it to be a number with Derek, but Derek <laughs> only says Derek the entire Derek. time. Yeah, <laughs> But it's a very organic, like he sings his name, but it makes yeah. sense in the context of the song. Um, uh-huh. See, I see it uh, exactly yeah, it is weird, not making Kristen context. Bell, good singer. Oh, yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. Yes. Yeah. Uh, very famously. Yeah. Yes. See, I, I actually see him. First of all, obviously, Jason gets featured in Janet's song. But he'd be like, wh who is it? DJ Khalid, who just like randomly shouts his name over other people's songs. So Janet yes. would have her own through line. And then at random points, Jason Manzoukas just, just shows up and shouts up, Derek! Yep. <laughs> that, that, is, that would be Maximum Derek, I think. <laughs> Maybe that's the name of the number, Maximum Derek. <laughs> yep. Okay, so I, I know I would very do. little about that show, but I would say that because of the way um, the movie This Is the End ends, I would want there to be Backstreet Boys involved, considering the, the, <laughs> the premise and okay, so something. Definitely bad place. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but yes. I debated well, I between that. two different shows, um, but I'm going to go with my, my first gut, which was. I want a musical episode of HBO's Deadwood. <laughs> I think it, yeah. it's crazy enough to not work. Damn, I'd want to see it. Yeah. David Milch yeah. penned musical Deadwood. 
lots of swearing. lots of fucks and cocksuckers and just like I think a musical episode of that could uh, be good for my soul yeah well they That's did such got. great things when he was trying to communicate with the Chinese crime boss and they they would have to like shout little phrases back and forth to each other to eventually understand each other that would be great. I'm, I'm, I am open to it. I think you got to have Al would have a number because uh, um, Ian McShane is actually a pretty good singer. Uh, oh, I didn't so know he that. Could, cool. Yes. He has like an album that he did in like the 80s. Uh, okay. And there's one episode. He sings in one episode. Um, he sings the oh. original folk version of Streets of Laredo before it became Streets of Laredo. Um, and then a song of his closes out an episode. Uh, so he could sing. Uh, and I'm willing to bet, um, let's see, Timothy Oliphant might be able to sing and some other cast members, I'm sure, have musical backgrounds. Yeah. So I'd go with Deadwood. But that's just me. Awesome. Good. Good. All right. So are we ready for the big finale of the episode? The big finale. Yeah. Our showstopper. <laughs> our showstopper. <laughs> Maybe this time it'll happen. All right. We've got our panelists have been uh, asked to pitch a new musical. They've been given pretty much open kind of framework for whatever they want to pitch. And they just they're gonna give us a plot, a couple songs. And who would like to go first with this one? Okay, I'll go first. Don't okay. uh, all right. go. All right, go with me on this one. Because I know that we've all been to Broadway and thought there are not enough dark dystopian sci-fi musicals here. <laughs> so... As, as all of us have thought. So well, there's Annie. Come on. <laughs> Annie does take place in the deranged mind of a sociopath, but <laughs> I would like a musical of Ayn Rand's Anthem. Okay. Anthem. Please tell us about it. I know Ayn Rand. Okay. So uh, for those of you not familiar with Anthem, it's a very short book uh, set in a dystopian future where the concept of the individual has been completely erased. People only have numbers. Um, and uh, like common identifiers, there's no names and there's no such word as I, I does not exist. It's always we, the collective good, they, our, um, there's no concept of the individual and any individual achievements get like stamped out or eradicated. And uh, this one, one particular person in this, uh, in this society um, is very talented, very smart. And because of that, he's placed in a position where he's not allowed to use those uh, gifts. He's as like a street sweeper, I think. Um, but he accidentally rediscovers electricity because he's curious, which is a sin in this society. Um, he mm. also, he sees this like other individual, this woman that like he encounters from time to time. She also doesn't have a name, but he refers to her as the golden one. Um, and I think she called, she says she has a nickname for him too, which is the unconquered. And both of those things are like deeply forbidden because they individualize the other. Um, eventually he gets found out, he gets punished, he runs away. Then she follows him and they end up setting up their own society uh, or, you know, such as it is with just the two of them. Um, but he finds this abandoned cabin with books and they learn about the concept of I and ego. And uh, one of the songs I really want um, is there, there would be two, I think that kind of tie into each other. Maybe it would be a reprise, um, but like halfway through the book, he tries to express um, that he loves her and doesn't know, or she tries to express to him that she loves him and doesn't know how to say it. She tries to say, I love you. And instead what she's able to say with the language that she's been given is we alone love you alone, but there's no concept of um, I love you. And so I would love I would love that at the beginning and then at the end when they're finally able to say the words. Um, I think there's a lot of really cool militaristic songs that you could have in there. Um, there, there would probably be like a big ending number where it's just the two of them and they're, Oh, they, they rename themselves themselves out of the books that they find. So he names himself Prometheus and uh, she names, she's named Gaia, I think. So like the naming song at the end, um, maybe like, almost make our garden grow kind of a thing except maybe a little less happy um <laughs> i 
don't know. I, I've like, I actually got so excited about this a couple years ago. I tried to write it for half a second because this is, I, I just, I love, I, there aren't enough sci-fi musicals. It's true. I yeah. don't think there are. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. I love it. I, I, I definitely was just getting all these images in my mind's eye while you were pitching that of um, really cool set design and lighting design, uh, obviously mostly dark and blue and um, lots of steel girders. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of, yes. Lots of girders. Yeah. And uh, some Sweeney Todd kind of music and um, yeah. Yeah. There was a, there was a a sci-fi musical, uh, in like the late eighties called star mites. Are any of you familiar oh. with that one? Oh, no. Um, it certainly wasn't as, uh, uh, you know, dystopian future as what you're describing, but it had some of the same vibe. First of all, cause it, it was a sci-fi musical, but also it did have some surprise twists and turns in the plot that were kind of dark. Um, and the music was really cool. And there, there were some mistaken identity things going on. Um, actually, yeah, if there's a way for any of you to check that, I, I definitely recommend it. Um, it was totally actually, will. yeah, oh, nice. it could, could, it could help inspire certain things. I could be completely wrong, but wasn't there like a brief run of a 1984 musical like decades ago? Uh, Is that right? Oh, a 1984. I was thinking Metropolis. Oh yeah. But no, sure. I think they actually tried to do 1984, but it, I, I don't think it quite worked out, but you know. Uh, who cares? Anthem will succeed where where Orwell didn't. <laughs> Obviously, yes, it's genius. Like you, could, you could have a song. You could have a song called maybe like Illumination when he discovers he rediscovers electricity and discovers that it can make light. Mm-hmm. Mm. So you could also have an ending one alone together because you know they're now alone, but they got each other. Oh, I like mm. that. That's really it's a little sweet. bit like Fallout Boy, but still good. <laughs> of course, oh, Andy had to take it. Yeah, cool. Okay. Remind you of the dozen things we've written together. <laughs> yes, that's great. That's my pitch. Anthem the musical. Nice. I don't know, Devin. You want to go next, or should I? Uh, you go. Okay. Cool. Uh, everybody ready? Okay. We had a. Uh, oh, can you hear me? Okay. Cool, cool. I thought we dropped out for a sec. I just cut this out. Okay. Three, two, one. Well, we had a, a science fiction musical. I have a science musical. One of like just this this uh, period of history that I'm just fascinated by. It's called The Bone Wars. Do you guys know about it? Oh, it was, but, um, tell me more. It's intriguing. Yeah. It was during the late 1800s. This is post-Civil War. America's economy was booming. They were building the Transcontinental Railroad, which was opening up the West. And there was this brand new field of science called paleontology, which was uncovering these new creatures called dinosaurs. And... I know like kids and people generally are into dinosaurs now, but not like then. It was like a fascination, like like the same way we would pour over the latest details of the royal family. The public just could not get enough about dinosaurs. And I want to do a musical about the two fathers of paleontology, two guys named O.C. Marsh and Edward Drinker Cope. They were both brilliant scientists and they both hated hated each other's guts. And they like dedicated their whole lives to destroying each other's reputation And guess what? They both succeeded. And this played out in public. Like, we're not used to scientists being quite so high profile, but this was, I mean, if this isn't too glib, it was like the Drake-Meek Mill feud of the day, okay? And it starts out, of course, they started out friends. And uh, it starts out when they're just learning about dinosaurs. Cope has discovered this rich bed of fossils in New Jersey, and he tells his friend Marsh about it. And it leads to our first musical number, and it's called Survival of the Fittest. And it's, it's how we learn about both of them. Because Cope, he was a Lamarckian. He was from old money. So he was very much the idea that uh, if a species does well, it can pass down traits that it acquired during its life in its lifetime. And that was Cope. He was very uh, old money and very, you know, like, uh, what's the word? He, he believed in uh, lineage. Marsh, however, was a strict Darwinian. He was brought up middle class. And he believed like, hey, if you can get ahead by bribing the owners of a New Jersey fossil site to give you the fossils instead of your friend, well, hey, that's fine because that's just survival of the fittest. So that's what he does. He grew up middle class, but he had a very rich uncle, George Peabody, who f- funded all of Marsh's 
explorations into paleontology. So Marsh steals the fossil site away from Cope and a rivalry and a hatred is born, which leads into the second part because also the West is opening up and these reports of these incredible fossil finds are leaking their way back to the East Coast. And both Marsh and Cope uh, get into this competition, who can get out there first and who can name the most dinosaurs. And competition gets the better of them and they both start engaging in some pretty shoddy science work. And that leads to our another song, Brontosaurus is Good Enough. It's how Marsh was in such a rush to get more dinosaurs named when he found a brontosaurus skeleton. He just took a skull that was found miles away, put it on top of the skeleton and said, hey, there's a brontosaurus. Hey, I've got another dinosaur, which led to just decades of confusion. And it just it, it's indicative of just how the competition starts getting the better of both Marsh and Cope. And the feud starts escalating. They're hiring spies to infiltrate each other's expeditions. They're hiring people to harass the, the fossil hunters. There's even some stones thrown. There's almost a gunfight at one point. And it culminates, both of them wind up blowing up their fossil sites with dynamite when they leave because they don't want the other one to come and find more fossils. And there's no way of knowing what fascinating new species are lost forever because they blew up these fossil beds. I mean, scientifically speaking, it's, it's unforgivable. Uh, which leads to the third part. Uh, Cope was really good in the field. Marsh usually stayed back east and he played politics. And he gets elected, or no, gets appointed the head of the U.S. Geological Survey. And he pushes through this law that if you use public money, your fossil collection can be seized by the Smithsonian. Both Cope and Marsh have these great fossil collections and it's what their reputation rests on. And this is Marsh's great move to seize Cope's fossil, uh, fossil collection. But Cope was a meticulous note taker and he had all the documentation that he didn't use public funds. So he gets to keep his fossils and he goes nuclear on Marsh. He publishes in the press this attack on Marsh, listing Marsh's tons and tons of dishonest dealings, misdeeds, bribes, whatever. He backs it all up. It's corroborated by witnesses and Marsh's reputation is destroyed. He gets kicked out of the U.S. Geological Survey. He thinks he can, he, his reputation is still secure because he still has his fossil collection, one of the greatest collections in the world. But guess what? That same law that he pushed through to seize Cope's fossils now gets used against him and Marsh gets his fossil collection seized. Cope he winds up faring a little better, but the fact is they're publishing all this stuff in the paper and they're advertising and they're buying fossils and it gets so expensive that he has to sell off huge parts of his collection. So it's kind of a fear of victory. Both of them, you know, both of them wanted this huge fossil collection to be their reputation. They both lose the collections. They both wanted, how should I put it? They both wanted to name more dinosaurs, but it led to shoddy of them. So like out of all of the dinosaurs they named, half of those names are now thrown out because the, the, the work on it was shoddy, which leads to our last song, Remember Me. It's sort of a defense song. Both Cope and Marsh sing a ballad defending their great accomplishments, uh, defending their behavior. But as they sing it, they come to two horrifying realizations. One, their reputations are permanently tarnished. But even worse, they will always forever be known in history tied to the one person they hated most in the world. And, you know, their, their legacies are going to be forever intertwined. Like even now, nobody talks about Cope without talking about Marsh, which is something that I'm sure both of them would have hated. So, you know, it's, it's the great theatrical theme of hubris leading to their undoing. And that's my musical. I would watch nice. this that's like, eight times. Yeah, Hamilton yeah. meets the prestige about dinosaur bones. Yeah, it, it's it is it is just crazy all the stuff that went on there. They they almost made it into a movie. James Gandolfini was gonna be Marsh, but then he passed away, and Steve Carell was gonna be Cope. But yeah, oh, this was like and this was like front page news. Their rivalry and they just oh my god, the, the, their hatred for for one another burned brighter than the sun. Really cool. Bizarre side note that um, doesn't necessarily play into the story you're telling, but the nursery rhyme or the tongue twister, she sells, she, she sells seashells by, seashells the, seashore, by the seashore. Yeah. Is that's actually about a real life woman who collected fossils on the beach. Um, oh, wow. And her story is, is fascinating as well. Like she, she essentially like was an uneducated washerwoman uh, who had a young oh, wow. age, like would find these fossils and sell them to scientists. And then, it, through the course of like identifying these different fossils, like she self-taught herself 
Oh, um, neat. And like paid her bills by selling the 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 seashells, quote unquote, uh-huh. to these scientists. So much where like all and I think believe this was in England. So it's like the entire English paleontology field all really owed that woman um a huge debt. So much once like that beach where she lived was, you know, panned out and no more fossils, she was essentially destitute because she had no income. Like the oh, wow. national British paleontology tut tut club whatever um mm-hmm. actually put together a stipend for her because they they oh. realized that they owed this woman so much that she, they took care of her in her old age yeah yeah I'll, I'll go with that that's much better than the pitch i actually did come up with so we'll go with that um <laughs> all right uh so um any other ideas on andy's war of bone what'd you call is it war of it's, it's bone, called bone the bone war? wars the Bone Wars, the yeah, bone war. they were fighting okay. over born, bones. Uh, all right. I guess I'm next, I suppose. That's right. <laughs> yeah, go Sorry, for yeah. it. <laughs> um, all right. Well, that's a tough act to follow. Still in the, in the earlier stages of the, uh, of the planning process, but I decided to go with, with the very what, where we are right now, timely, situational uh, musical called Quarantined. Uh. Um, now, it's... it's Talk uh, about Alone Together. It's a, <laughs> yeah. It is mostly, uh, you know, a solo show, but um, <laughs> but not entirely. There is uh, there is a, a girlfriend character who comes in and out of the room, um, and uh, the uh, the actual does she plot, stay six feet away or no? No, she comes in. She's the only one who's not six feet away, except okay. during a big number I'll get to later, uh, the fever dream sequence in which everyone is uh, basically commingling in a, in a huge sort of ecstasy-fueled orgy situation um, outside um, because he's, he's at that stage of having fever dreams. But um, ultimately, it follows the, the trajectory that we're currently only you know, halfway through right now, which is there's the first few numbers are the initial rumblings of what the heck's going on and can we still go out and all the kind of anxiety and figuring out the new normal. Uh, then there's these two or three songs that are more about the calmness of the new normal. Um, and all the, all the typical things we're seeing on Twitter and Facebook about the, the things that people are doing with all their time. Um, and then of course, in the second act, we do reach those later stages of the plot where um we are coming out the other side of this and it is uh, in some ways, uh, you know, a, a more old fashioned uh, happy ending of a musical um, where people come out, the doors come wide open and we're rebuilding a new future. Um, so song wise um, in one of those earlier stages, um, when the couple is uh, probably second or third song of the show, uh, realizing that this is their new normal, um, uh, what we learn is that this is a couple that actually wasn't living together until this happened. And so um, the the title of the song is "Oh, I guess we're doing this now." Uh, <laughs> and I, I I see this as like an Alan Menken type uh, song. Um, actually sounds very you know, lyrical and romantic, but the, the lyrics are more on the uh, s- satirical side um, because, again, this wasn't a couple. It's not a married couple. It's not a couple that has, um, that has been living together prior to this point, obviously spending a lot of time at each other's places, but now, given the new situation, just sort of rolling with it. <laughs> and there's uh, an interesting dynamic there because of making a choice that, in that way. Um, and then, uh, so that's more of like, like I said, the Alan Menken, uh, later on, the one I was referencing earlier was the fever dream sequence, because this is the darkest part of the plot. Of course, our, our main character does in fact come down with the virus. Um, it is a case that turns out to not be life threatening, but it is full of the symptoms, fever and, and all the rest. Um, difficulty breathing, um, almost going to the hospital, but not quite. Um, and so that one, I, I was thinking during the, the dream sequence that there would be, uh, that there'd be a reason to title it something like step back and parentheses, don't touch me, uh, because he is having a dream and we're seeing 
all the ensemble members uh, that are able to appear because it's a dream um, when he's outside um, and when he's in the part that is the early stage of the dream before he realizes or remembers that we're in the middle of a pandemic, uh, everyone is actually able to, like I said, um, kind of just randomly start making out or touching each other. Um, but then he, he gets to a later part of the dream um, where there's that moment of realization that we often have in dreams, which is remembering what the circumstances really are. Like, hey, this person is my you know, brother, not my father or whatever. Um, and so at that stage of the dream, uh, he starts telling everyone to step back six feet and there's a, there's a, a repeating refrain there. Um, that would be like an early Andrew Lloyd Webber style, I think. And, um, and then finally, for the third, third song um, that, I, that I was thinking through a little bit, the fact that, of course, we're all, as much as we can hold it back at some points, we can't help it. We have to check in and see what the heck's going on and follow the news. So there's the, the recurring checking in almost the same way as in Hamilton, that we keep checking in with the king um, and, and hearing his interesting perspective. Uh, here we keep checking in with the, you know, buffoon that we have in the Oval Office with the, the White House press conferences. Um, and so we have this song would probably be titled something like, yep, still a lunatic. And we would just keep having these Lin-Manuel Miranda type uh, lyrics coming out of there that are just having some of the latest at these three or four points during the show, there would be a couple of reprises um, that that include lyrics such as this is the best response to any pandemic ever. And, you know, <laughs> this is, it's just tremendous. It's tremendous. No one ever saw that anything like this could ever happen, but now it's happening. And, and it's just tremendous what we're able to do. And it's tremendous, except for the, except for the mean governors who are not appreciating how tremendous and fantastic everything we're doing is. Um, and so it would just be a lot of that um, uh, at different stages of the, of the, uh, of the situation. And that's pretty much that's pretty much it. At the end, like I said, there there would be a point that uh, we would be coming out of it, and we would see uh, our main character go outside and uh, see some of the same people we saw in his dream sequences, um, but now with uh, with open doors. Yeah, I'm hoping, perfect. I'm hoping that there would be. Did you actually envision a song called The New Normal? Because that's a genius title for a song. Yeah. I was also hoping for a montage of pizza delivery. Like, first oh, we say hi, yes. then we have a mask and gloves, then leave it at the bottom of the stairs and I'll spray the pizza box with Lysol just to sort yep. of show how things are progressing, you know? Yep. Yep. Yeah. If I had, I, I wanted to stick with the three. Those are my favorite three. But if I had four or five, yeah, there was going to be some delivery number or perhaps yeah. even repeated delivery situation. Yeah. I think that's Depressing perfect. And, and I think fascinating it... all at once. Yeah. I mean, like all good musicals. It, it would be great for the climax. He does his whole ritual to disinfect the pizza box, but then he hears the delivery guy sneeze and he just throws it in the trash. He's like, nope, not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the idea of because what's fascinating to me about humanity in general, especially during this, uh, and for anyone listening in the future, uh, we're all self quarantined right now. Um, oh yeah, the aliens who so, discover this recording and listen to us in the year three thousand. This is what we are going through on Earth mm -hmm. in twenty twenty. It's 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 weird that the aliens had no other context for knowing about the pandemic other than this podcast, but it's I don't weird know how this yet. one episode is all that they have to be. It's kind of like episode. an AI where the alien <laughs> Mecca have to formulate their ideas of humanity by talking to a little boy robot. It's great. Makes sense. <laughs> well, because they only refer to each other by numbers. They don't have names. This happens to be <laughs> yes. the one thousandth podcast, and they just chose it for that reason. Oh, that makes yeah. see, that all makes perfect sense. Um, but what's what's fascinating to me, uh, and getting, I think this has always been true of humanity, but getting to see it up close firsthand is people can get used to anything, and surprisingly quickly, we adapt really well to new circumstances. And so the idea of a song being called "The New Normal," where it's almost like a nineteen eighty four esque, like this is the way it's always been. We've always kept six feet apart. Like mm -hmm. you, you start to forget because once this is over, we are going to like, there's going to be a period of time where we're like, Ooh, is, is touching. Okay. Is, 
is is shaking hands okay? Mm -hmm. Because now this is the normal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I had a friend uh, talking about the, um, you know, how people are sometimes checking about certain triggers before they watch certain things. And for him, it was always, if there's any kind of cruelty to animals, he just can't, he can't watch something. So um, he's always asking about that. But he's like, in this, in this new normal, um, if there's any, any TV show or film or anything that people are recommending him to watch, that includes people touching or kissing. He's like, no, can't do it. Because <laughs> <laughs> he starts freaking out. Like he watches yeah. and he gets, he gets all anxious just seeing people get within six feet of each other. I, I had a friend <laughs> tell me that he was, anytime he was, you know, we're all binging on Netflix now. And he said, like, anytime anybody hugs, he freaks out. And then he goes, oh, wait, no, they, they filmed this before. It's okay. Yeah. It's amazing oh, how man. fast our, our, our brains um, uh, change what they're, what they're used to perceiving. We're, we're amazing at that, which is why I think the idea of seeing this kind of rapid change in a musical would be so great, especially because musicals are great at adding a little bit of levity to something that's not Mm. necessarily inherently funny. Well, they're also so great at compressing time too, which is another cool thing you can do. Yeah. I think we can do the, the four or five month story that this is probably um, give or take six months. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Give or take it forever. Right. We but we can tell that story (laughs) in two hours um, in a way that makes a lot of sense. And also a lot of, like you said, the levity um, that musicals tend to be able to bring, that's what a lot of us are, are expressing when we're on Twitter, on Facebook, um, putting out these TikTok videos or watching other people's TikTok videos um, <laughs> in this new normal. It, it is, we're all aware, even people who are not usually in entertainment or usually people who are, who are creating art, are you know sitting at home with their families and suddenly creating these things that that are all about taking a situation that's actually kind of dark and fraught and and worrisome and turning it into something that's lighter and hey here's the best we can do with what what we have right now. Uh, have you? I've, I mean, I don't know if you've seen this thing floating around on Facebook, but somebody was saying when we all learned you know, when we were younger, that like Ring Around the Rosie is all about the Black Plague. And when we learned that, we all said, who would write a song, a kid's song about the Black Plague? And now that we're kind of in it, we realize, oh, levity is the only way to deal with this situation. It makes perfect sense. It does. We we use, it's, our gallows humor is the most like human type of humor of all, right? Yeah, Plus humor is a, the universal coping mechanism. Yeah, although also it was, a, I think, a preliterate time. So it was the easiest way to tell everybody what they should be looking out for, you know? Oh, it's true. Like it was mm-hmm. conveying information. Yeah. I'm sure there are songs about how to wash your hands that are popular with kids right now. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think they adopted yeah. Baby Shark. <laughs> Like, wash your hands, do, 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 do. wash your hands. Yeah. Yep, that's how it starts. <laughs> you know. Get Use your brain for the rest of the day. Get the plate. Get each finger. Get the cuticles. Get your thumb. Nails. That's how it starts. That's how it continues. That's how it continues. That's how it continues. You don't die. Do, 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 do. You don't die. Do, 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 do. Totally unrelated, but I learned recently that my mom thought that the song went, baby, shark, 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 shark. Oh, God. That's even worse. That's kind of along the same lines. That's along the same lines as all of us when we were six thinking it was MNMOP. There might be a version. I heard a history of baby and it's an old camp song. So it actually exists in like these three or four kind of similar, but kind of different versions, none of which can be the official version because there is no official version. So there might be a baby shark, 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 shark floating <laughs> out there. My mom's not crazy. She's just remembering back when she was in Girl Scouts. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That was her baby shark. <laughs> I would also watch a musical called My Baby Shark. <laughs> I, I have to be honest. I would not. <laughs> <laughs> Fun fact: I have seen that casting notice. Oh God! Wait Dude, for a for... musical because I know they're going to try to like do a, a movie. About... 
for like a traveling children's show. They were like it's oh. based on the popular yeah, whatever. Popular baby I didn't shows. go. Okay. So the popular three minute YouTube video. Here's an hour long yeah. children's show. Uh we you know the movie, the animated movie is you also know it has the joke you to shark at some point in the movie. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It's it's gonna be that musical. Oof. Like, oh how we strip Give me some Finn. <laughs> oh my God! It will totally have give me Finn. Yeah. No, that's oh, getting that, too close. That movie will be coming. Yeah, coming to your local Big Lots DVD section soon. <laughs> <laughs> coming to your local Seven Eleven in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> Get it on Redbox. Well, next to the Redbox, where the trash can is. That's where you'll find yeah. it. <laughs> All right, homeless folks. guy who lives next to the the, the Redbox has a couple copies. Um. I think that just about does it for this episode. Yes. I, I'm not going to be able to top your pitches with my terrible music, musical pitch. So I'm not even going to bother. I'm invoking host privilege. Also, this episode's <laughs> running a little bit long. So we'll wrap things up. So um, musicals run a little long. So yeah. We're in dress rehearsal and we got to do a speed through. Um, <laughs> so uh, panelists, I want to thank you for being on. Uh, please tell the listeners um, where they might find you or something they should be looking for from you. Uh, just here's your here's your moment to just plug and pitch. Okay. Uh, well, I do. Uh, oh, until recently, you could find me in the national tour of Henry Box Brown the Musical. Um, obviously, no theater exists in the world right now, so TBD on that. Um, yeah. But you can also follow me on Instagram at K R I S T I N T D E G R O O T Kristen T Degroot. Well, I'll go. Um, I can be found at home for the foreseeable future. Uh, but all the stuff I do can be found at andynordval.com. Nordval is spelled N-O-R-D as in dog, V as in Victor, A-L-L, then the dot, then the com. Excellent. And um, I am working on something right now that's going to be a week uh, podcast like this um, that's oh. got a bit more of a political slant um, and kind of is riffing on a character I played on TV years ago, uh, Bill and Gilmore Girls. Um, it's Ooh. going to be the, the aspect of my personality, which which he was a big part of, which is the know-it-all um, telling you what's what. Um, and um, uh, it's going to be called Asked and Answered, um, oh. going topic by topic, week by week, and saying, hey, it's the fight that's killing us. So let's actually just once and for all decide the correct answer on each of these political topics and then put them to bed forever so we don't have to fight about them anymore and waste billions of dollars and uh, and scream at okay. each other and ruin everything. Like, yeah. So Bill big, believes big that can talk. be done. Yes, yes. In my worldview, it shall be done. Uh, so look for Asked and Answered. Uh, in terms of social media, I am at Devin May Care on Twitter. And, but more often, I'm hanging out on Facebook, Devin, D-E-V-O-N, M as in Michael, and then Schwartz, S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z. And I'll be announcing there shortly. And I was your host for this episode, Michael Tanner. Uh, buymichaeltanner.com or follow me on Twitter where I am Mike is Ernie at twitter.com. You know how the internet works. You can find me. Um, and <laughs> thank you panelists again for being on and thank you listeners for listening. Uh, we are part of the Grand Geek Gathering Network and I want you all to check out the other great shows uh, from the Grand Geek Gathering Network. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, any, you know how podcasting works. You can find us on the podcast catchers. Uh, you can also visit thegrandgeekgathering.com for our articles on our other shows and more. And this is scripted out and I'm trying to read it and talk at the same time and I'm not doing a great job. So I'm going to edit the heck out of this. You can stay updated from our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our outro music for this show is done by Carlisle Laurent. So come and join the gathering and have a great week. And don't forget to GGG. GGG. I just try to make it easier for everybody. I don't know.